Hello, and welcome to Addicted to Murder. This is Courtney, licensed professional counselor with over 10 years of experience. And I'm Trisha, and I've recently started a fart lick program to help me train for a 5K. What is a fart lick program? Well, a fart, fart lick program is an endurance training program where you switch between sprinting, jogging, and walking. Oh, interesting. Would you like to fart lick with me one day? Maybe. Okay, we'll set up a fart lick regimen. Okay. Sounds good. We'll have to do that. (laughs) Well, welcome to part three of Gary Ridgeway. Oh my goodness, my cat just jumped on the table. Um, (laughs) uh, As always, you can follow us on Instagram at addicted2mpodcast at... Oh, I'm sorry, addicted to M. I was going to ask you, Courtney, since you sent up the Instagram page, did you do addicted to M because it wouldn't let you have murder in the title? Because I've kind of noticed that with Instagram. Okay, makes sense. Yep, that's why. (laughs) Okay, so at addicted to M on Instagram. Yes. And then addicted to murder podcast on Facebook. Correct. And then addicted to murder podcast at gmail.com. Is our email. Is our email. Yes. Okay. And also we have had um, new followers or maybe some of them are older followers, but uh, from different countries this week. So forgive me. I want to say thank you to them and I am attempting to do their languages. So Canada, many thanks. United Kingdom, cheers. Norway, Takskuldua. And in Belgium, they have three different languages. So here's French. Merci. German, viel Dank. Flemish, Dank all. So anyways, thank you so much. Um, it's great. It's awesome. We are so excited when we see that we're like international. It's super fun. And please feel free to email us or send us comments with how we actually pronounce some of those words. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm sure I butchered those. But, you know, I gave it a shot. You did, and that's what matters. <laughs> right. Okay, so is there anything you want to say before we start on Gary Ridgeway Part 3? Well, we have to do our brand new segment of the show that we started that's last right. week, where we get to know Trisha and Courtney a little bit better. That's right, it's Courtney's question. Okay, yes. I'm ready. So we're going to stick with the morning on a Sunday theme. Okay. Um, but this time, you are... Maybe meeting a friend or your mom at the brand new hotspot breakfast place in town. Mm-hmm. When you're there, what is your go-to order so you can decide if it's a good place for breakfast or not? Well, anything with crab, mm-hmm. right? But, okay, so that's not always available on the menu. So I'm going to pick French toast because that's always on the menu. And good French toast can, like, make or break a restaurant in my opinion so french toast for me with coffee and eggs and fruit how about you so i would definitely go for blueberry pancakes Mm -hmm. love me some blueberry pancakes with fresh blueberries not frozen of course yes fresh is always better um but frozen will do in a pinch okay and also i think there has to be some eggs in that first order specifically over medium eggs for me oh because that'll show me if the chef can cook the whites all the way through mm-hmm. while leaving the yolks still a little bit runny which is hard to do so you're giving them a true test a culinary skill test i am because i don't like any runny whites mm. i like it all runny <laughs> okay. Oh, good Good question, Courtney. Yeah. So now you know what we want the next time you take us out to breakfast, oh, be listeners. Great. Yeah, <laughs> totally. All right. So that was getting to know Trisha and Courtney. 
Okay, so by 1987, the Green River Killer was attributed to killing 46 victims, with only about two-thirds of the victims identified. Ridgway had been questioned by police due to his fraternizing with sex workers and being seen in the area and with some of the victims. Police did take samples from Ridgway, but did not have the DNA technology available to analyze them, but thank goodness they took the samples anyways. Um, interestingly, at this time, his workplace knew about his being looked into and gave him the nickname Green River Gary and noticed that the initials kind of matched um, Green River Gary, Gary Ridgway. Anyways, you get it. In 1988 and 1990, two more bodies were found and attributed to the GRK killings. And by 1991, the Green River Killer Task Force was down to just one investigator. In 1998, the body of Patricia Ann Yellowrobe of Seattle was found. Although her death certificate says she died of accidental overdose, the police did um, indicate that she was a GRK victim. So now we're in 2001. The Green River Killer has escaped capture for nearly 15 years. In 2001, Dave Reichert, who was previously part of the GRK task force, is now the sheriff of King County. So he must have gotten promoted or elected. I think that's how sheriffs work. Elected, I think. Elected. At this time, he decides to ramp up the task force and add several more detectives as the total now of victims is 49 that they um, found killed between 1982 and 1984. In March of 2001, the Washington State Lab begins analyzing old evidence with the new DNA technology that they have. With this analysis, they find that Gary Ridgway's DNA that was collected so long ago matched three of the victims. Hooray. They have finally found conclusive evidence of who the Green River Killer is. Gary is promptly arrested, and it's at his place of business, and he's held without bail on December 5th, 2001, and he is officially charged with first-degree murder in the deaths of Marsha Chapman, Cynthia Hands, Opal Mills, and Carol Christensen. Gary will plead innocent um, two weeks later. Courtney, what do you think Gary is thinking? Yeah, at this time, I think I would imagine that Gary sort of has one of two internal reactions to being arrested. If you look at like the pictures and the videos um, of his arrest, he's observed to be very calm and pretty expressionless as he's being led away into the police car. Um, and so this calm demeanor could be attributed to either a belief that he was somehow still going to get away with this, um, or um, perhaps kind of an acceptance of like his getting caught was inevitable and it was just finally now happening. So for he pleads non-guilty, so right. I don't know. Yeah, but that might also be something that his lawyers told That's, him to do. Okay, it's very true. We don't know what went on then. Um, during the investigation into Ridgeway, paint samples from his work were compared to paint samples found on four other victims, and in December of 2001, he was charged with four more murders. In March of 2002, he was charged with another three counts of murder. At first, prosecutors refused to plea, to plea bargain with Ridgeway. If he was convicted, he would either get life in prison or the death penalty. During this time, he was housed in jail, and he was not a popular inmate. It was reported that other prisoners who could get close enough would pee outside of his cell so that it would trickle in. I guess that's what all they could do, but uh, anyhow. It wasn't until June 13, 2003 that the prosecutor's office and Gary's team entered into an agreement. The death penalty would not be sought, but Gary would have to plead guilty to all murders he committed in King County. 
at this time, the list was 49. However, if he had committed more murders than those, he had to confess to them. Now, this was a tough decision, as most thought that he should. Uh, this should be a capital case. However, based on a passage from Anne Rule's book um, that we've discussed, Green River Running Red, uh, this is part of their reasoning. This is a quote. Accepting a guilty plea to aggravated murder in the first degree where the death penalty can be invoked violates statutes because essentially it allows a defendant to commit suicide. So, Courtney, what do you think? We've discussed the death penalty and you, you and I are both against it, but this is an interesting caveat regarding the suicide thing. It is an interesting thing to consider. You know, while in custody, the government is responsible for the health and wellness of all of its inmates, including providing mental health care and preventing suicides whenever possible. Um, and that includes keeping inmates who are on death row alive until their execution date. Um, so the prosecutors in Gary's case had to make that decision on whether it was more important to have Gary confess and provide information to the investigative team uh, or for him to be eligible for the death penalty. And ultimately, uh, you know, getting information about these missing women, their locations, and ultimately being able to provide those families with answers was seen as the best possible outcome. Right. I mean, maybe if it was more of an open and shut case where here's the victims and we know who they are and everything, but yeah, there's so many and he doesn't have a great memory on who they were. I mean, they still have Jane Doe's. It's true. So that makes sense. During the time of the investigation, Gary was moved into the office of the Green River Task Force. He literally was working with detectives day and night to get as much evidence as possible for the victims and their families and closure. This had never been done before. During this time, Gary learned the names of the task force and would greet them with things like, how are you doing, Sue? Those on the task force made themselves respond as they were trying to get him to talk, uh, but they didn't enjoy it. Um, it almost seems like Gary was delusional. He thought he could make it like a work situation. So we've talked about Gary as a blend-in kind of guy. Apparently now he was basking in being the center of attention of so many. And since he was cooperating with the police, he was able to talk about all the grisly details of his crimes. He was more than happy to do hours and hours of questioning. In fact, it is reported that he loved this time. He could brag about all he knew about murder. He loved the audience of FBI agents, the police, the psychologists, and everyone else assigned to the case. Courtney, are we seeing some narcissistic personality disorder traits here? Do you think he's a narcissist? Yes, I, I do believe that Gary has some traits of narcissistic personality disorder. You know, at, at this moment in his life, like you said, it's probably the first time that he's been the center of attention and sort of been the, the most important person in the room, so to speak. So he was in control, finally, of what he said and how much he said and how he said it. And he could finally boast about his, you know, quote, greatest achievements being these murders. Um... And it was also reported by officers that worked with him that Gary did display a range of emotions. Um, however, they were all very self-centered, meaning he would only, for example, get sad and cry when it came to talking about things that directly impacted him negatively. Right, like when he would talk about his um, intelligence and stuff like that in interviews. Right, exactly. Like stuff that affects him. Right, and so people with narcissism, they still have emotions. Mm -hmm. They just mostly only care about themselves. Okay. 
So although Gary was having a great time, the officers and others on the task force were not. I don't know, Courtney, if you've got a chance to watch any of his interviews or if anyone out there has, but he is a boring, boring person. At least I found him to be very boring. He repeats himself. He can't remember a lot of things. He does stutter and he stammers. But man, oh man, to all my What We Do in the Shadows fans, he is Colin Robinson, psychic vampire. Um, anyways, I know we've talked about stutters uh, in the past. Courtney, do you think that this is a, a true stutter or just maybe him stumbling on recollection? It came across to me more like like stumbling on recollection or, um, you know, if he had any language difficulties with his IQ kind of stuff, like something more like that as opposed to a true stutter. Okay. Well, also during this time, the investigators would take Gary on what they called field trips. Gary was leading investigators to dump sites, murder sites, etc. Per Ann Rule's book, uh, this is a quote, in order to learn what they needed to know, detectives had to allow him to revisit these sites that he had returned to often over the years of his freedom. He brightened, smiling anticip in anticipation as they got closer to his trophy areas. During an interview, a psychiatrist asked Gary how he felt when his bodies were discovered and taken away, and Gary replied, it felt like they were taking something of mine that I put there. Courtney, for Gary, it looks like his trophies were the sites themselves that held the bodies. Do you think that all serial killers have some sort of trophy? Some need to hold on to their accomplishments? So, not every serial killer will necessarily take trophies, but it is a very common behavior. Um, according to the book, The A to Z Encyclopedia of Serial Killers, by Harold Schechter and David Everett, there are two types of kind of trophies that um, killers do take from the scene. So the first one are what they refer to as souvenirs, which are items kind of taken to rele relive the crime in their fantasies, kind of like Jerry Brudos's shoes that he would take from the women. Um, and then trophies are meant more to like symbolize or recognize their skill um, at being a murderer. So like a killer keeping like a piece of jewelry, for example, from there. Um, or, or like a, a head. Yeah, or an eyeball, you know, those kinds of things. Um, so it's also really common for killers to want to return to the scene of their crimes over and over in order to relive that memory. So clearly that's happening here with Gary. And Gary even admitted that he liked to take his wife to spots where the Green River Killer victims um, had been found and have sex with her there. Romantic. Very. Well, at first, Gary said the murders were not premeditated. He would kill them because they did not seem to be enjoying sex with him. Um, they would enrage him, and he said, When I get mad, I shake. Sometimes I forget to breathe, and things get all blurry. He blamed his rage on his job because the women there would get the best and easiest jobs, his two ex-wives, his child support payments. All of this led to needing to release pressure, and the only way he could was to kill women. He was quoted as, quoted as saying, all I wanted to do was have sex with them and kill them. Courtney, he's not taking responsibility, and that's a taking responsibility, and that's a narcissist trait, right? Oh, yes. Yeah, narcissists will do anything to try and make themselves look better, which often does include trying to blame any problems or bad behaviors on others. So for Gary, the rage and hatred he had towards women made all women a pretty handy scapegoat. 
So Gary had no problem in remembering where he murdered the girls and where the bodies were, but he could not keep names or faces straight. He didn't care or could not remember who they were. Gary admitted that prior to killing the women in his home, he would ask them to wash their vaginas and to urinate. He would do this because he did not want them wetting the bed after he killed them. Now, right there to me, that's premeditation. <laughs> You know, um, he would also have sex with them in doggy fashion. And after he ejaculated, he would say, I hear someone. This would cause the woman to look up, which would make it easy to press his forearm against their larynx, choking them. If they were strong or his arm got tired because of all of the murdering he'd been doing, he would put his legs around them. After he killed them, he would then rob them. When asked why he choked them, he said, quote, because that was more personal and more rewarding than to shoot her. Courtney, does this description of how he would commit murder bring anything to mind? Well, uh, last week, you know, we talked about how manual strangulation is more intimate and personal and gives the killer the most direct control over the actual act of killing. Um, so it literally allowed Gary to feel the life fade away from his victims. Um, which is the ultimate for, you know, someone who's killing out of needing to control others. In June 2003, Gary decided to try a new tactic with the task force. When investigators came in that day for questioning, Gary was much changed. He basically was trying to claim that there was another Gary. Um, the new Gary had these things to say. You guys are trying to control me, but I never slept with the dead women. Sure, I screwed them a couple times. The new Gary wants me to candy coat this. So Gary was now kind of claiming to be a split. The new Gary had been the cooperative man they had been talking to until this point, And the old Gary was the angry alter. So the old Gary was the one that did these things. And the new Gary was the one that was like working with the police to explain them is what I'm understanding. Old Gary had this to say. This is a quote. I killed them because I wanted to. I was mad. I killed 49 or 50 people between 1982 and 1985. I killed a lot of them because of my rage and anger at my ex-wife. So now old Gary is in charge. He would say when the task force would go look for victims um, that you know he, they had to do what he said or he wasn't going to take them anywhere. Old Gary then stuttered and said, I hated him. I hated him. I don't give a shit about where I killed them. I don't give a shit about them or their jewelry. Carol Christensen meant nothing to me. The fish I put on her were to attract animals. I dragged them by their feet. All of them didn't piss me off. Some I wasn't mad enough to kill. The new Gary is a wimp. So, Corny, does Gary have an altar? What do you think? Also, wow, he really just hates women, doesn't he? Gary, as far as I can tell does not have dissociative identity disorder or alters of any kind. This, to me, appears to be another very crude and poorly done attempt at misleading the investigation, kind of like he tried to do with that letter he wrote. Mm -hmm. um, he had probably heard about other people trying to use this defense. Maybe he'd watched Primal Fear too many times. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Um, he wasn't as good of an actor. Definitely not. As Edward Norton. Right. And also, you know, while Gary did have a strong hatred for women, the phrasing and the language that he used when he was pretending to be the old Gary, I mean, it doesn't sound like him at all. 
So I think he was also likely mimicking like what other killers had said and how they said it to make like old Gary seem like a tough psychopath. Right. So you and I are in agreement that new Gary is the real Gary, the mellow. <laughs> yes. Do-do-do-do. He, he is the only Gary. <laughs> only Gary. Mm-hmm. And old Gary is just made up. Okay. Well, throughout this interview, old Gary continued recounting his victims. Graphic details about we, about what he had done, where he had disposed bodies, how he had sex with the corpses, and even spoke of an incident where his son was with him when he picked up a sex worker, had sex with that sex worker, and then killed that sex worker, all while his son was in the car. Through this confession, Gary did seem to have qualms over his necrophilia. He said with some of his victims, he would bury them deep so that he could suppress his urge his urge to come back and have sex with the corpses. He was very adamant that he was not a serial rapist. He was a serial killer. So, Courtney, of all the admissions he is making, why do you think he is the most ashamed of his necrophilia? He also explained in an interview that he thought masturbating was more of a sin than hiring prostitutes. So it's hard to know for sure exactly what Gary was thinking or believed, as a lot of his beliefs were very distorted. Um, from reality. But one guess that I'd have is that while, you know, having sex and killing, um, those were activities that made him feel powerful and in control, whereas engaging in necrophilia um, was maybe perhaps experienced as weakness because it was like an urge that he didn't want and he didn't want to follow through with. Um, Possibly masturbation was seen this way as well. So engaging in those things would be shameful for him um, since the last thing he wants to be is weak. So him not wanting to have sex with dead bodies but then having the urge to do so is shameful to him because he can't control his cravings. Something like and that. It's almost like those, those women still <laughs> have control over him. Right, yeah. right. Okay. And, you know, taking into account that you know, Gary had this sort of religious streak in him as well. Um, and his family had, you know, religion while he was growing up. We know that in its own ways, um, that can sort of complicate a person's relationship with sex, depending on what they're taught. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. So now it's November 5th, 2003. Gary Ridgway pleads guilty to 48 counts of murder. He is quoted in his confession. This is a quote. I killed the 48 women listed in the state's second amended information. In most cases, when I murdered these women, I did not know their names. Most of the time, I killed them the first time I met them, and I do not have a good memory of their faces. I killed so many women, I have a hard time keeping them straight. I killed them all in King County. I killed most of them in my house near Military Road, and I killed most of them in my truck, not far from where I picked them up. I killed some of them outside. I remember leaving each woman's body in the place where she was found. I picked prostitutes because I hate most prostitutes, and I did not want to pay them for sex. I also picked prostitute as a victim because they were easy to pick up without being noticed. I knew they would not be reported missing right away, and might never be reported missing. I picked prostitutes because I thought I could kill as many of them as I wanted without being caught. So then it took an hour just to read all the charges and the victims' names, the, the names that they knew of, as there's still some that are unidentified. Gary was then transferred uh, back and forth to different prisons, but is currently in Walla Walla, Washington. 
The task force wants him near as they still have unidentified victims. And as a part of his plea deal, he's supposed to tell them if he remembers anything else about other victims. He is rumored to have killed up to 80 people. In 2021, one of his victims um, was identified as 14-year-old Wendy Stevens, and I think it was his youngest victim to date. Um, He is currently 73 years old, and he has confessed to killing 71, although, like I said, the number might be higher. Courtney? I think just there we have it, right? Gary Ridgway is the Green River Killer. And thank goodness that a forward-thinking detective in 1987 chose to take and keep that DNA sample. Right. I mean, if that hadn't happened, I don't think this case would be solved because unlike other serial killers, he's not a braggart, um, didn't really keep trophies. I mean, the only thing he really seemed to have done is, you know, gone back to the sites. Right. And those were on public land Mm -hmm. in nature reserves by a very popular river. Yeah. Well, Courtney, what do you think? Do you think Gary Ridgway was addicted to murder? I think he was absolutely addicted to murder. I think he was addicted to murder and also having sex with dead people. And his wife. And his wife. Yeah. He just really liked sex a lot. I mean, yeah. I think he had a lot of addictions. And that was probably one of the reasons he wanted so badly to have control. Because I get it. I don't know. Anyways. Mm -hmm. um, Anything you want to say before we give a clue about our new killer next week um i mean there was an interesting article actually trisha that you sent me about a potential new law in washington state um that would i think make it so that people who had previously taken a plea bargain Mm -hmm. for life without parole Mm -hmm. that it would change it so they would then be eligible parole after a certain amount of time Mm -hmm. um but looking at that um, that is not something that Gary Ridgway would ever qualify for. Well, that's good. Because 73 is like the new 65 for some people. He could still go out and do these things. And I think he said as much that if he was ever released, he would do some, he would do it again. Yeah. So those in Washington, no need to worry. <laughs> Whether this law is passed or not, Gary Ridgway is not being released from prison. Good, good. Well, next week, we are going to... Start a new murderer, like I said, and I picked him. I never heard of him before. I hadn't either. He has a different nickname on the West Coast than he does in the Midwest. That's my clue. Oh. Okay. Very mysterious. Yes. Okay. Well, be sure to check out our Instagram and all that good stuff and leave us comments. And we really, really appreciate you guys. Thank you. Yes, thank you. All right. See you next Tuesday. Bye. Bye.